What a day that's going to be, right? Wow. Where are you going to be when Jesus comes? Anybody know where they might be? Wherever you are, he's coming, ready or not. Uh, he's not going to give you time to go anywhere else or do anything else. It's going to be time. At that moment, he's coming back. When he comes back, wow, what a day that is going to be, isn't it? Amen. We're looking forward to that. Well, it's been a blessing to be with you all. It seems like we just got started, and this is the last evening together. But thank the Lord it won't be our last time together forever because one day we'll be with Jesus together. Well, we're so thankful for uh, your church here in Mifflinburg. The, the work that you're doing here is great. We thank God for you. And uh, it's so like, just like you said, Wayne, it's so wonderful to go to other places in the United States or in the world. And you can find believers that are gathered together worshiping Jesus. And it, sometimes, you know, as a pastor and even as a, as a Christian, sometimes you feel like you're kind of all alone. But the Lord reminds you there's a whole lot more out there. Can he told like he told Elijah? He said, Elijah said, he said, Elijah, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed bow, bow the knee to Baal. So don't worry about that. There's a lot of believers in the world today. A lot of people that still love Jesus and are still trusting his coming. So tonight we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 25 and looking at verses 1 through 13 in particular. What journey have we been on together? Well, we began, first of all, with uh, Are You a Child of God on Sunday? Uh, we began to ask the question, do you truly know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know you've been saved? Uh, we can't just be a child of God because we exist. We're a child of God and we're born again. And so we began that journey because if we haven't been born again, we really can't be revived until we've been born again. And so the born again portion was so important on Sunday morning to begin our journey together through the Word of God. And then from there, we went to asking the question, do you need a spiritual? For those that are born-again believers on Sunday night, we talked about the fact, uh, you know, we go for our physicals, but do we need a spiritual? Do we need to be brought back and be examined again before the Word of God and before God and see where we are in the faith? And what are some areas of our life that need to we need to make changes in uh, to draw closer to God? Do we need a spiritual to, for the Lord to bring that revival in our heart again that we would grow once again? And then we looked at planning uh, for revival, uh, breaking up the ground, and uh, putting in the right seed in our life, putting in the righteousness of God in our life. And in order to do that, there's some areas of our life, your life and my life, that we call follow ground in our heart. It's an area where nobody really knows about but us and God. And sometimes we need to get right with God. If we're going to get right with God, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, touch that follow ground in my life and change me. And Lord, I surrender that to you. I know that's not what you want me to be or do. Lord, you'll forgive me. Break up that follow ground and bring in your righteousness into my life. And then, Lord, I'll pursue after you. And then last night, we dealt with the issue of the shrinking eye. We talked about how we need to become smaller in order for God to become greater. And it's too much of our, us in our life, and it's too much of me and my and ours in our life, and not enough of God. And so tonight, we kind of bring it all back to the, the final point. Uh, where are we going when we die, and how do we know that? And ultimately, are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Because he's coming, whether we're ready or not. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. You follow along with whatever translation you may have or, or listen up. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their lamps with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And here's the admonition that he gives. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Father, we pray tonight that we would be watchful. 
Lord, that our attention would be focused on things that matter. There's so much going on in the world, Lord, so much going on around us, Lord, so much going on around our friends and, and, and surrounding the, the internet and, and all our conversations we have, the text message, social media, Lord, so many things we try to keep up with today that's going on around us, Lord. But Father, help us not to forget the most important thing. One day in the middle of all this, you said you're coming back. And when you come back, it's going to be a complete change. And those that are ready will go to be with you. And those that are not will have the worst day of their life. Father, I pray tonight that everyone in this room is ready. Everyone knows you as their personal Lord and Savior. Everyone knows that they, are, that they have the oil in their lamp and they're ready uh, to meet the Savior whenever you come, whether it be when we're awake or when we're sleeping. Father, we pray tonight that if there's someone that doesn't know you, that they would search and ask the question, well, how can I know? How can I know I'm right with God? And Lord, tonight I pray they'd find that answer. Father, thank you for this church and thank you for the, uh, the leadership of Pastor Wayne Crow and his wife, Lord. What a blessing they are to us, Lord. And I be we become closer friends before we were faces and now we're friends. Thank you, Father, for them. And thank you for the faithfulness they've given to this church here in Mifflinburg, Lord, this incredible run of time of 20 years. Thank you, Father, for all the sacrifices he's made. And Lord, I thank you for in him I see a pastor's heart. And Lord, I see a tenderness and a love for the people in this church. Thank you for blessing them 20 years with a man that loves them. And his sacrifice, sometimes, many times, his own family needs for the sake of the body of Christ. Oh Lord, may they be to him an encouragement. May they come alongside him, Lord, and walk with him. And Lord, we pray, uh, Fa Father, that your grace and mercy would be upon his life and his family, Lord. And, and Father, we, uh, we uh, lift up uh, your grace to be poured upon this church, Father, that the, the people that are a part of the Church of the Nazarene here in Mifflinburg, Lord, that, that you would touch them. And Lord, they would impact Mifflinburg for the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and Lewisburg and all the other surrounding communities and townships, Lord. Let your will be done through this church, Lord God, and may you receive all the glory for this week. Thank you for being with us every day, Lord, and every night. Thank you that the Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts. Father, help us not to take that for granted, Lord. Help us to remember it's, it's important to hear that word, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So speak, Lord God, to us tonight. Feed us like little birds, Lord. Help us to regurgitate the food we have tonight from your word and, 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 and continue to let it pour over our heart throughout the week. Thank you, Father, for allowing me and Marcia to be here with this wonderful people of God. Thank you for the grace and mercy they've shown us, Lord, and the kindness they've been to us. And Father, we, we also pray tonight you be with our son, that Justin, that uh, has come down with COVID today. We just pray, Lord, you be with him, Lord. We know he had such a bad bout of COVID the time before. It was so scary. And so, Father, we just ask your grace to be with him tonight, Lord, uh, in Richmond, Virginia. And we pray that you give us traveling mercies there tomorrow. Lord, may you be gracious and mercy to us, or to us all tonight. Speak, for your servant listens. In Jesus' name, amen. When we think about the subject, ready or not, Imagine yourself sitting in your easy chair or sitting in your comfortable sofa in your house and all of a sudden the lights go boom and you're sitting in perfect darkness. Now at that moment it's probably, and usually now we have cell phones we can just cut the light on our cell phone, you know, that's different. But uh, suppose you didn't have that. Suppose you're just sitting there and you say, aha, okay, well I know where the flashlight is. Well you stumble through the dark and you find the closet where the flashlight is, and you stumble into the closet, and you find the flashlight after knocking everything else over, and you hold it up, aha, I got a flashlight. You get back out there, and you click the button, and nothing happens. And all of a sudden, you're, you ever had that happen to you? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to buy batteries for an emergency when the emergency comes, right? That's just what we do. And all of a sudden, you realize you open it up, there's batteries in there, but the batteries are dead, and they've corroded in there. So the flashlight didn't do you a whole lot of good, did it? Imagine going buying a new car today, and this does happen, by the way. You go buy a new automobile, and uh, when you buy the car, you get out on the road, and you're so excited to be driving your new car, and you're riding down the road, and all of a sudden, you hit something on the road, and you get a flat tire, boom, 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 and you pull off the side of the road, off the shoulder of the road. You say, well, 
I got my first flat tire, my brand new tires, my brand new car, but that's okay. I'll just change it. So you make your way out. You have nothing but your cell phone with a little flashlight to try to hold in your teeth to see where the lug nuts are on the, on the wheel. You say, I'll just get the jack out of the back and get the, and get the tire and change the change, you know. Well, little did you know that there are some cars you can buy in the United States of America that do not come with a spare tire. You don't get a spare tire. You don't even have a jack in there to jack the car up. You have to pay extra for that. It doesn't come with it. I know somebody that happened to. They got a brand new car, and they found out they didn't have a spare tire. And it's like, can you believe me? You pay that much money for a car, and you can't have a fifth tire? Imagine that. You didn't know that was coming. You thought you were prepared. Well, suppose I was to pick one of you tonight and say, hey, you come on up here and bring the message tonight. How prepared would you be for that tonight? Would you be scared to death to get up here in front of everybody like I usually am? Or would you be comfortable with that? Would you have something you could say? Public speaking is probably the one thing that scares people to death more than anything else. Getting up in front of other people and speaking. I know when we were in school years ago, yeah, when we had, you know, the, um, the stones and the chisels. <laughs> it's kind of hard to hold that chiseled piece of paper up in front of everybody in class. But they get up to have public speaking. I always hope I was sick that day. I didn't want to be at school that day. I didn't like public speaking. I still do not like public speaking. Imagine that, God calling somebody to preach that doesn't like public speaking. Anyway, back to the text, ready or not. Ready or not, here I come. I remember those words when I used to play hide-and-go-seek years ago as kids. We didn't have all the video games and all the exciting ways to make ourselves happy, so we played hide-and-go-seek. Somebody would be it. Everybody else had to go hide, and then that person would count down and say, ready or not, here I come. And wherever you were, you had to settle in because that's when it was going to happen. Well, folks, one day, Jesus Christ is going to break the eastern sky. And when he breaks the eastern sky, it's going to be, ready or not, here I come. He's not going to ask us, can he come? He's not going to ask us if we're ready for him to come. He's coming when the time comes. Many times the Lord Jesus taught by parables. And this particular passage of Scripture is a parable that he taught. It's a simple, simple story dealing with something that would happen in that time of that culture, they would understand, that would be taught for the purpose of a spiritual meaning. So Jesus uses this parable to teach a spiritual meaning to the people. We must be careful not to overanalyze any parable because if we do, we can get ourselves in theological hoopla. We can cause all kinds of problems. We say, well, this, this doctrine comes out of this. We have to be really careful with that. But stick to the meaning of the parable and what the focus is of the parable is, and you won't get into trouble with that. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a lesson taught by the Lord Jesus Christ concerning the importance of being ready for His return. The setting for the lesson that Jesus has given us in this passage is a wedding, a Jewish wedding, a wedding during that time in that culture, which is totally different than weddings that we have here in the United States. This particular wedding would be the focus. In fact, Jesus calls us the bride of Christ, and he uses the analogy of the Jewish wedding, and it's amazing how many scriptures in the New Testament relate to that to explain his relationship with the church and his return to the church. I'll give you a few examples of that. We know from a Jewish wedding, the bridegroom would be the center of attention, not the bride. And the bridegroom, the bridegroom's marriage to the bride would be arranged by the father, not by him dating her and deciding, hey, I want to marry her, or she wants to marry me. The couple entered what was called a chuppah, which was a, literally a marriage canopy they got underneath uh, uh, there, where the fathers had arranged the relationship. And the couple entered a symbolic household being planted there and to establish a binding contract. Now, uh, when we think about the kingdom of God, uh, we realize that the father sent the son. But the father is the one ultimately choosing the bride. And the son will be a part of that bride. We see that in that relationship. Here the groom would give the bride money or a valuable object such as a ring. And then a cup of wine would be shared together customarily to seal the covenant relationship. Well, it's interesting because in the Bible it tells us that when Jesus Christ saved us, he says he gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as an earnest, as a wedding ring, so to speak, to promise us, I've saved you. This is the promise. I'm coming back for you. So he gives us the Holy Spirit when we're saved. And as a result of that, we are sealed by the Spirit of God. We are set apart for God. 
And not only that, if you remember the Lord's Supper, when the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up the third cup and drank the third cup, which, by the way, in the Seder Supper is the salvation cup, when he drank that cup, he shared it with the disciples. He says, this is the new covenant I'm making you with my blood. There again, the very picture of the wedding relationship with the bride. In this public ceremony under the hoopah, the couple entered into a betrothal period, which typically lasted for about a year. Although they were legally married at that time, they did not live together or engage in sexual relations. In fact, the separation was intended to prove the purity before the wedding. Be holy, the Bible says, for I am holy. As God has saved us, He's called us as the body of Christ to walk and live differently than the world. And He says, be holy, for I'm holy, and I'm coming back for you one day. And during this period, the groom was to prepare a place for his bride while the bride focused on her personal preparations, such as wedding garment and lamps and all of those things. And what did Jesus tell us in John 14? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Though I am, there you can maybe also. See, the same picture. And then Jesus is coming back. And when, did the, uh, when was the bride uh, to expect the um, bridegroom? Didn't know. It could be any time. They didn't know the day or the hour when he would come back. They just had to wait. It would be at some point within that year he was going to return. And not only that, the very the groom himself or the bridegroom, he would not come until the father told him it's time, go and get your bride. For this reason, we think about that incredible thing. The bride kept her oil lamps ready at all times. Just in case the groom came in the middle of the night and sound of the shofar would lead the bridal possession, they would come and take them and take them back to the prepared place, just like Jesus is going to do for us one day. So today, in the season of Yeshua's end time return, we should be careful to remain alert and prepared for His coming. Since Yeshua was speaking to His disciples prophetically about the conditions of the church in the last days, He tells the church, all you need to remember is you need to be prepared. You need to be ready for whenever I come. You need to be ready. So these ten bridemaids were waiting for the coming of the bridegroom here in this passage of Scripture. They were expecting it some time. It was a waiting period, and it wasn't the next day he showed up, so they had been waiting for some time. This particular parable is grouped in uh, several parables about Jesus' return. It all began with a question by the disciples in Jesus Christ in chapter 24. We find Matthew 24, 3. In all of this passage, he's answering what the disciples asked him. The same question a lot of people are asking today. In Matthew 24, 3, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, that's Jesus, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When the Lord Jesus tells the disciples it is not for them to know the time or the hour when the kingdom will come, instead he tells them what they should be focusing on and concerned about. The most important thing Jesus says is we're ready, not when he comes. Listen, if you're ready for Jesus to come back, it doesn't matter when he comes back, right? Matthew 24 is a detailed description of the way things will be throughout the tribulation period and the way things will be in the last days, the difficulty that will be upon this earth. They had come to know Jesus as the Messiah. They had no doubt He was the Messiah. And they wanted Him to bring the kingdom now. But He says, no, you have to wait. And even after Jesus rose again from the dead and He went to be with the disciples for for 40 days, He walked with them. And He was about to be ascended back into heaven. And once again, the disciples asked Him again, well, now that you've risen again from the dead, now will the kingdom come? And Acts 1-6 says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the Lord tells them, the time is not the issue again. These are not related specifically to the the rapture situation where the church can be taken away at any moment, at any time. But these conditions will be on the full display during the time of Jacob's troubles. The three parables taught here relate to three different ways the body is to be made ready. In in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 45 to 51, it tells us we are to be a a servant that is watchful serving. Uh, In in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, we're to be a profitable servant. So he tells us to be prepared, be faithful, and be profitable until he returns. So the purpose of the ten virgins is watchfulness, being ready for the Lord's return at any time. Well, how can we be ready? And what should we be prepared for? 
In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 5, we find this issue, be prepared to meet Jesus. So the first thing we need to be prepared for is we need to be prepared to meet Jesus. We don't need to be religious. We need to be regenerated. We must be prepared to meet Jesus means we've been saved. We're ready to meet God. Our heart is right with God. He saved us from our sins. What's the Christian life about if it's not about preparing to meet the Lord? In fact, even the Apostle Paul told us it would be a very difficult thing to do if we thought this is what Christianity is all about, and this is the only thing it's about. It's not about meeting Jesus one day. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says, if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most pitiable. You see, the return of Jesus Christ is part of our faith. We believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we also believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus Christ, when Peter reveals all that we are in Christ, that his last words of the completed act is in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that in the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And look at this, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is the end of our faith? The end of our faith is to be with Jesus, right? That's the end goal. That's the ultimate purpose of why we're following, because one day we want to be with him. In Galatians 5.5 it says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. And the goal of our faith is to be with Jesus Christ forever. It is not to remain here under these conditions. I'm so thankful. Aren't you glad we don't have to stay under these conditions forever? You know, the happiest day of a Christian is the day he dies. Because that's the day he goes to be with Jesus. That's the day when all the thunderstorms of life stop. Just like we sang about a few minutes ago. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul reminds us, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 4 of chapter 25 of Matthew, they, they ask the question, and we see that the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, but the foolish did not. Now the lamp here identified is the lampos. It's different from a little household lamp. They used to have these little lamps they had in the household, little oil lamps in the house. Now, that would be kind of difficult to take in a processional outside. But Lampos is actually talking about a torch. He said, you must have your torch ready. You must have everything prepared. And the torch would be this large domed piece at the top. And as a result of that, they would take uh, rags, soak them in oil, and put them in the top and light the rag on fire. Well, the, the rag would burn and the oil would burn in the rag. It would continue to burn. But eventually there would come a time when that would kind of fade out. And so they had to have a separate canister of oil with them at all times. And that separate canister of oil, they would re-wet the, uh, the, the cloth again and light it again. So that's what we're seeing here with this particular lamp. And the wise took the oil with them and they also took the vessel. In other words, what they were saying is we're preparing for the long haul. Jesus may not come back this year. He may be 20 years before Jesus comes back. We're preparing for whenever he comes back, we're going to be ready. It speaks of preparing with endurance. In Hebrews 12, 1, the Bible reminds us, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What will religious people do when the world begins to challenge their faith? and no longer endure sound doctrine. What are we going to do when, um, when it becomes illegal to meet in an assembly like this? Well, that'll never happen in America. You really think that? We're getting closer all the time. What are we going to do when somebody would mock us if we follow Jesus Christ? Mark chapter 4, 16, 17 says, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. See, the religious people are not really into Jesus. They're just into the religion of Jesus. And so when trouble comes and somebody challenges them on the word and dares them to say, Do you, are you going to follow Jesus Christ? If so, it's going to cost you everything. 
Maybe that's what one of, some of the things our brother in Honduras is dealing with. The struggle of persecuted church in the nations of the world is unbelievable. You know that 250 million people around the world, Christians, are being persecuted for their faith today? The largest percent ever in the history of the Christian church. That's why in our church, one of the things we constantly do is we pray for the persecuted church. And we are involved with the voice of the martyrs dealing with the persecuted church and providing them the things they need as much as we can. Hebrews 10, 35, 39 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The ten virgins were all waiting for the same thing. Five were prepared, but five were reckless. Jesus Christ tells us, don't be reckless. Don't think because he delays, we can go back and live as in the days of Noah for a while. I remember one time we were witnessing in Venice Beach, California. And I, I thought Venice Beach, California was supposed to be one of the most beautiful places in the world. It is a homeless encampment. And we didn't know that when we went down there. And it's just hundreds of people living in tents there. That's, that's just, just unbelievable. You wouldn't believe it on Venice Beach. And we were handing out little tracts to people. We had a little tract that said, uh, uh, suppose this was your last five minutes, what would you do? And it was a young guy there. It was, it was a skateboard there at Bowl, and we, we handed him one. He looked at it. He said, ha, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just wait until my last five seconds, and when the plane's going down, and just before it hits the ground, that's when I'll say, okay, I'll get saved now. What a reckless way to live your life. How does he know he'll ever have that opportunity? How does he know his life's not going to end just like that in a head-on collision and it's all over? How does he know he's going to have the mind to accept Jesus later? People get dementia and Alzheimer's and they get it at a younger age. How do you know mentally you're going to be able to make that decision? Well, that wouldn't be fair for God to send me to hell if I became in that condition. Whoa! Did you have an opportunity before the condition came? Be ready. Don't be reckless with your life. Salvation is not something we get over. It is something we are preparing for. 2 Corinthians 5, 4, 5 says, For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, in other words, we want to die, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up in life. We want to put on the, the new life, the new glorified body. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The wedding ring. The promise that he would come for us. You see, God has prepared us to be prepared. How sad when Christianity becomes a religion. It's not a religion at all. It's about following Jesus Christ. It's about following the way, the truth, and the life. It is a new beginning for your life. You are become a new creation. You have a new hope and a new future of your life. It doesn't matter what you've done before. Jesus has washed it away in his blood when you receive him, and he gives you a brand new start. And you know what? After you've had your brand new start, you're going to fall down again. But you know who's going to be there to pick you up? Jesus. I've fallen so many times. So many times. And every single time, the Lord Jesus always tenderly said, you're still my child. Come on with me. Oh, the divide between being religious and being saved. How great a gulf exists between the religious and the regenerated. Five wise and five foolish. Titus chapter 3 says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared... Not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's what religion is, is when we try to save ourselves. But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Folks, we were saved by God. Jesus Christ paid the price for our salvation. And we're not practicing a religion. We are born-again believers in Jesus Christ. We can't stop being who we are. We can't stop doing what we do. We're all, I'm sorry. It's who we are. It's where we're following now. It's who our king is. And so we live with this life knowing what's coming, don't we? That's the exciting thing about being saved too. We know what's coming. The world doesn't have a clue what's coming. Every time a new crisis comes to the surface, it's like, oh no, this is the big one. 
every single time. And the world just goes absolutely nuts because of that. But as believers, we know the end is not yet. The end is not yet. Jesus is still coming. It gives you an advantage in life. Matthew 19, 28 says, So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We were saved for so much more. We are preparing for so much more than what's temporary about this life. There's nothing in life more important than being prepared for His coming. And this should be our focus in our life. The problem with religious people is religious people want to jump A, B, and go to C. You know what A, B, and C stand for? The ABCs? A stands for admit. B stands for believe. C stands for confess. And, and what the religious people do is say, well, I don't have to worry about admitting and believing. All I got to do is just confess I believe in Jesus. Really? The Bible says otherwise. The Bible indicates that God has got to do something to you to touch your heart, to bring you under the convicting power of God, that you would admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're not perfect. Admit that you've broken God's law. And God is right if He chooses to send me to hell. Admit it before God. And B, believe. Believe. Not just believing there is a God. The devil believes there are God and trembles. He knows there's a God and he trembles. No, believe is to believe that Jesus, He came and He's the Son of God. He died on that cross for me. Why did He die on the cross? Because there's no other way I could be saved. He paid the price for my sins on that cross. I believe in Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection. He's the one that saved me from my sins. And then we confess. Jesus Christ is Lord and King of my life. Lord, come into my life and save me and change me and make me everything You've created me to be and recreate me in Your name and in Your image. You see, religious people just want to confess. But believing people, regenerated people, have received Jesus Christ. So we need to be prepared to meet Jesus. Can I give you another one? Can I? Is it okay? Is it okay, Pastor? Or I'll give you another one. Be ready to live with Jesus. So we're not only being prepared to meet Jesus, we're becoming ready to live with Jesus. Verses 6 through 11 talks about that process of being prepared to live with Jesus. In other words, a professor versus a possessor. There are many people that are professing Christians that are not possessors of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Are you a person who's always pushing the envelope? A person who claims to belong to Jesus but acts more like a lost person? Well, meet some of your kinfolk, the five foolish virgins. God calls us to be more like Jesus and less like what we want to be. We do not make the rules of our life anymore. Jesus does. And at midnight a cry was heard, and behold, the bridegroom says, it's coming, go out to meet him. What does the Lord tell us about professors and possessors? There are many people who talk about the Lord that are not ready to live with him. They really don't want to be with Jesus at all. Some people, I believe, that, that heaven would actually be a hindrance. Ugh, I don't want to just go to heaven and sit on a, on a cloud of a harp. Neither do I, because that's not what heaven's about. Heaven's going to be the most awesome place we could ever imagine. The glory of God is going to be there, and everything's going to be perfect. Your life's going to be better than it's ever been before. You're not going to need a cell phone anymore. You know why? Because you're going to know everything. God's going to teach you what you need to know. And the communication between us is going to be amazing. What a day that's going to be when we're out of all of this. The Bible warns there will be some in the church who believe in God. And what they're doing earns them the right to be a child of God. In Matthew 7, 21, 23, it says, Look at these religious people Jesus talked about. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, he says, many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? This is Jesus telling us this, by the way. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They profess to believe in God and believe that's enough. But they don't possess eternal life. The Lord taught there will be true children of God and false pretenders forever. Even in the church, there'll be tares and there'll be wheat in the church. There'll be some that are saved and some that are not. Can you imagine the shock if we were in church the day that Jesus comes back with a rapture? Can you imagine the shock that people will feel if, if everybody's boom is gone but 12 people in the church are left? But they're all gone. 
He spoke of some who joined the organized church, but not the body of Christ. He spoke of the lostness of the Pharisees, some of the most religious people in the world. And there will be some who are ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They always have need one more proof that Jesus is the way. There will be some who walk away from the truth. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. There will be some trying to live in both worlds among the stony ground, and eventually the stony ground always wins. I've tried that. I used to live in the stony ground, and I always, always said, well, I can just be a, a, a good, try to be a good person and believe in Jesus and go to church, but I can still live in the stony ground. Now, the stony ground always wins. You can't, you can't live there. Professors, but not possessors. They have no real interest in living in the kingdom of God. And these five foolish virgins were professors. They claimed to be ready. They slumbered with the wise virgins. They were sleeping with every, all, they were right there with them. They were all together. But they did not have enough oil for the long processional. The five foolish did not even realize it until they awoke that day when they said, hey, the bridegroom's here. They woke up and that mo- that's when they began to realize, wait a minute. We're not going to have enough oil in our lamps. We're not going to have enough to make it all the way. Folks, a born-again believer is already born again. We're not waiting to be born again. We're not waiting until the trumpet sound to get right with God. In fact, there won't be enough time. Because when Jesus comes back to take his church away, it'll be in the twinkling of an eye. You know what the twinkling of an eye is? Everybody blink your eye one time. That's too slow for a twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye, you can't even see. It happens so fast. It's a twinkle in the person's eye. They, they, it shakes real fast. It's really quick. You can't even see it. That's how, that's how quick it's going to be over. That quick. The change is coming. The Lord Jesus prepares the church through his teaching to be ready. Now, even if it's going to be a long time, the church needs to be right. And remember, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Just ask some of the old gray heads in here. <laughs> I was saved when I was eight years old. I'm finding out it's a long marathon. A long marathon. It's not something you do for a while and then go do something else. We need to be saved right now, not later, for when that moment comes, it will be too late. And salvation is not just something we do because we might die. Salvation is what we need so we can live forever. And they all slept, it says. We are all in mortal flesh. We're in mortal time. We get weary sometimes. Sometimes we fall asleep on the preacher. The best born-again Christians will slumber at times. This is why we need to be ready. Because the flesh is weak, as Jesus told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. None of us can live this spiritual life on our own. We need that extra Holy Spirit in our life. We need the Spirit of God to wash over us daily and be with us daily. And we need to surrender every single day to Him. Because if we don't, we stumble and fall. It's the Spirit of God in this earthen vessel that keeps us ready. It's the great difference between the wise and foolish virgins. It's the great divide between the professors and the possessors. And when it comes time... The possessors will be ready. The professors will immediately recognize the error of their way. As soon as the church is gone, as soon as there's a change, as soon as something happens, they'll know, boom, it's too late. Something just happened. And notice in verse 8, they turned to the, the, the other virgins that are there with them, the ones that had the oil. They said, give us some of your oil. One day there's coming a great divide in the people of the world. That divide is going to break up families. It's going to break up friends. It's going to break up church members. It's going to break up friends and co-workers that you work with at work. It's going to break up neighbors and countrymen. It's going to be a great divide. You're going to be on one side or the other, with Jesus or without Him, saved or lost. There will be no coattail Christians. You cannot go to faith on your parents' faith. You can't go to heaven on your parents' faith. And you, you can't go to uh, heaven on your grandparents' faith. It must be you and your relationship with God, which is so special because God is saying, I want that uh, immediate relationship with you, not with your family, with you personally. The Lord saved me, but I can't save you. 
pastor can't save you. The priest can't save you. Nothing we do religiously can save us. Only God can save you. We cannot share the Holy Spirit with whom we have, with whoever we will. If we could do that, imagine that, Pastor, if we can just go down in Mifflinburg and say, I choose you to be saved and 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 you to be saved. And yet the people that would have that upon them, they would, say, they would just abuse that because they're like, okay, fine, great, I got it. Now, goodbye. Just leave me alone, you know. How many people have been saved by a funeral eulogy? Oh, he was such a good person. I just know he's in heaven. <laughs> no, no, we, we don't know that. Now, we can look at the example of their life, and if they live for Jesus Christ, and the, and, the, and the direction of their life has certainly been following Christ, then you have a good indication, more than likely, they were Jesus. But if that person has had nothing to do with God, then how do we say they're in heaven? You see, we can't send someone to heaven by our wishes. A professor in life will never be a possessor after death. This is what happens to a person after they die without Jesus. An absolute awareness that is true. The Bible is true. Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Bible is 100% correct. And John 3.16 is right. This is how I could have been saved and I was not. Religion without salvation is just empty. Baptism without salvation is just wet. A priest or a pastor cannot save you, and being baptized as an infant will not save you. Communion will not save you. Speaking in tongues will not save you. Confessional will not save you. Holy undergarments will not save you. Jesus saves, and Jesus alone. The devil believes but he doesn't possess, does he? When the five foolish virgins began to see that the oil in their lamps was growing dim, they demanded from the wise virgins, give us some of yours. And, and the response of the, of the, of the uh, five, uh, five wise virgins may have seemed kind of rude. No, you can't have any of ours. Well, that's surely not a good way to be a Christian, is it? <laughs> you know, you're certainly not sharing with everybody else. You should be able to share for everybody else. Why can't we have it? They said, here's the reason, because if we give you any of ours, then none of us will have enough to make it. Because we won't have enough to redo our lights if we share what we have with you. If they gave them their extra oil, it still wouldn't help the foolish. And the warning is here is there is a coming a day when it will be too late. Procrastination will never make you ready to meet Jesus. Putting off being right with God to a more convenient time is the cry of the rich man in hell. And verse 10, notice it says, look what happened to the last minute bridegrooms. They miss the bridegroom with the bride. Those who were ready went into the wedding. This is what they had been waiting for all that time. And they missed him. Why? Because they had to go buy some oil at the store. Well, where in the world would they find a, a store open at midnight <laughs> in Jerusalem? I can understand 7-Eleven is open 24 hours a day, but where would they go? Where would they find it, even if they went out to find it? They had to get somebody out of bed to open a store to allow them to get oil. In other words, it was, it was, it was hopelessly too late. Even though it's available, it's too late. And listen at this resounding word that comes out of verse 10. This is a scary saying. It says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And what? The door was shut. I used to be a, a, a prison chaplain. And we, we were in a prison ministry for about six years in an old city, sale, uh, Suffolk jail. Boy, it, you're talking about a, a horrible jail. This was a horrible place. And we would go in there every Thursday night at 7 o'clock and they would let us into the jail cells and we would uh, be in there with the inmates and we'd share a Bible study with them. Many got saved. Uh, some's called it jailhouse religion, but some actually we saw did change their life. There was a change. But you know, the thing that I'll never forget, I can, even today I can still hear it, the sound of when I went in that jail side and that door behind me went boom! It was, the most, it was the scariest feeling because you were like, I can't leave. I can't get back out that door. 
And one night, matter of fact, one night they forgot I was in there, left me in there. I was having a long Bible study, and, and the other one said, like a long study sermon tonight, right? You can't imagine that, right? Well, here we were. We were, we were in there just having a great time of Bible study, and they forgot I was in there. And I had to push a button. In fact, the, one of the inmates told me, push that button, and they'll come back here and let you out. I was locked in for the night, but it'll be okay. Can there be a worse sound than a jail door closing behind you? It sounds so loud that it just shakes the soul. When Noah had preached and preached and preached and nobody was interested in receiving his message, the warning he gave to the people, they were not concerned. It had never rained before on the earth at that time. The boat was sitting on dry ground a long way from the ocean. 120 years had passed while he was building this ark, telling them the end was coming. They were like, come on, Noah, get over it. You've been on that sermon for a long time. But then Genesis 7, 16 happens. It says, so those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. They went into the ark as God told them to. And look, and the Lord shut him in. The shutting of that door, folks, is the sound of judgment. The Lord shut the door. Those inside were safe from the wrath of God. Those on the outside were in the wrath of God. Salvation is never on our terms. God offers us salvation, though, and we can all be ready. Revelation 3, 7 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, He who is holy, who is true, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. Then I heard my Savior speaking, Draw from my well that never runs dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up and make me whole. So be prepared to meet Jesus. Are you prepared to meet Jesus tonight? Do you know for sure you're ready? There's only one way you can be ready. You must be regenerated. You must be saved by Christ alone. Are you ready to live with Jesus forever? Is that what we're living for as Christians? And finally, being saved means to be known by Jesus. The best news of all is not that we know God, but that God knows us. That's the greatest news of all. The truth is we were all those foolish virgins one time, and we were saved by God's grace. In Titus 3, 3, it says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But our life is now in Jesus. We are living our faith every day in Galatians 2.20. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. A pretender is a person who claims or aspires to a title or position, one who makes a false or hypocritical show, someone who's pretending to be saved. But then there's the genuine. I pray that every soul in this room is genuinely saved. That you know Jesus Christ personally tonight. And know if your heartbeat stopped beating tonight, you know where you spend forever. Do you and I have saving faith? Or do we have bartered faith? You know, some people try to barter with God. I've had older men on the island, some of the older men that are old fishermen, you know, kind of rough and tough around the edges. And sometimes you talk to them about the gospel and they said, hey, everything's okay between me and Jesus. I said, based on whose terms? <laughs> Yours or his? How do you know everything's right? How do you know it's right? Are we bartering with Jesus? And some people have said, me and God have an understanding. Really? So you've told God how it has to be for you to be saved and you're the one going to direct God in salvation. Verse 11 reminds us, after the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Remember the door shut. Now they're outside the door. Just like the people outside the ark when the water rose up so high and they could no longer hold on to the, the ground. It was starting to float in the water. It was getting deeper and deeper as the water continued to rise up and they were pounding, I'm sure, on the outside of that ark and outside of, let us in, let us in, let us in. The Lord shut the door. Noah didn't have the authority to open the door again. 
In verse 11, notice that one word, afterward. Afterward, the other virgins came. After what? After it was too late. After the wives had already left in the wedding feast. After is a sad time to find that you were wrong. And after is a sad time to find out it's too late. I can never be saved now. The rich man in hell woke up afterwards in Luke 16. But it was forever too late. You see, it does not pay to be fashionably late when it comes to the eternal condition of your soul. The familiar call, Lord, Lord. We hear a lot of people use that word, Lord. In fact, one of the things we see a lot of times uh, as we text back and forth is OMG, right? OMG, we know what that means. But you know, really, to use the Lord's name in any way other than in reverence is to use His name in vain. We always think it's just the using the Lord's name in vain is cussing. But anytime we just throw the Lord's name out there, these wise virgins were inside, the foolish were outside just hollering, Lord, Lord, as if that was going to make a difference. Notice they couldn't open the door for themselves. They couldn't chart their own way to heaven. And notice the one who answers their cry was not the, it, was, it wasn't the bride. It wasn't the uh, five wise bridegrooms. It was the Lord himself that told them, depart from me. I never knew you. You know what? Every person in this room is going to see Jesus one day. You're going to see him face to face. And either he's going to welcome you into the kingdom or he's going to tell you, depart from me. I never knew you. And you know what? His eyes are going to be so piercing of purity and holiness. When he looks in your eyes, you're going to know what he says is absolutely true. That's right. That's right, Lord. I never surrendered to you. I never came to you. Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. He did not know any of them because they did not belong to him. Not that he didn't know who they were. He created them. As we talked about on Sunday morning, are you a child of God? 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from me for, for, from iniquity. See, sometimes we, as, a, as a kid, we used to have, I used to have a fear. But suppose God doesn't remember me. Oh, <laughs> we're talking about omniscience here. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. God's going to know you. And He does know you if you're His. In John 10, 27, 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. The five foolish bridemaids had no answer. Notice they couldn't argue with him. There was nothing they could say. This is the end of the parable, and it's the end of the opportunity for them forever. Don't neglect God's love for you. Don't neglect John 3, 16. Don't neglect what, neglect what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. If the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart tonight, don't wait for another day to be right with God. You just might not make it home tonight. There's no guarantee. Especially not in the crazy world we live in today, right? The point is, if you're not ready, when doesn't matter when Jesus comes. But if you're ready, then you're looking for His coming. In Revelation 22.11, we find, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, when Jesus comes, everything remains as it is forever. Will you bow your heads with me tonight? Lord Jesus, as we bow before you, we realize, Lord God, that there's something wrong with us. We're not what we should be. All of us have got things that we have done in our life that we know are wrong. Perhaps some things that nobody else knows about. All of us have those secret things in our life and that follow ground that, of our past that if other people knew what we think, what in the world would they think of me? And Lord, we realize that these things are true about us. And sometimes our answer is, well, I'm going to try to be better. I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try to read my Bible more, and I'm going to try to understand more. But, Lord, that really doesn't change us. Lord, you've told us that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how can they call on him whom they have not heard? 
Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to every heart in this room tonight. Young people, older people, maybe people that have been in church for many years, others that are just starting out, maybe they just are new into the faith of Jesus Christ. Some that are searching, some that would say, well, I would follow Jesus if I just knew it was true. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would speak to them tonight. And the Spirit of God would fall on any that do not know you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, we would stop making excuses. Lord, that's what admits all about. We're not making excuses for what we've done anymore. We're not trying to blame somebody else for what we've done. We come before you, Lord God. And we bow ourselves before you and we admit, as you tell us in your word, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Which means there are no perfect people. There's no perfect preacher. There's no perfect pope. There's no perfect missionary. There's no perfect teacher. All, you say, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Lord, not only have we sinned in the past, but we continue to do the wrong things every day. And we see those things in our life and we realize, what's wrong with me, Lord? Will I ever be right? And Lord, you remind us, it's it's not about us getting ourselves right. It's about you changing us. Father, I pray, O God, tonight that we will be willing to admit to you, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have broken your law. I have done what is wrong, and my, and my own soul, my own conscience convicts me. But your spirit is what really convicts me. And Lord, I feel your presence in my life tonight speaking to me now. You're teaching me to fear to fear what I have done wrong, knowing I don't want to be shut out of the kingdom one day. I don't want to die in the middle of the night and find out I'm forever lost. Father, I admit, and I admit and believe what you said in your word, Lord. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that this is God's plan from the beginning of how human beings would be saved again, how they would be brought back and brought right with God again. This is how they would have a, a new start with God. This is your plan, God, of salvation, that you would send your son and he would become human. And the reason he became human was to taste death for every human soul. To taste that death and that death that he tasted was not just the physical death. It was the wrath of God. It was what was going to be poured on me in hell forever. And he took it on his shoulders on that cross and he bore that wrath of God on his shoulders for me. And Lord, you tell us, you've demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we must believe. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God eternally. And He came as a babe in a manger. And He walked on this earth for many years. Somewhere around the age of 30, 33 was when the moment came when He was to be crucified for the sins of all the people of the world. But Lord, you've told us from your word, those who believe in his name, who receive him, are saved by your grace. So Father, we're saved by faith, not of works, as any man should boast. And so Father, we realize we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on that cross with me. Lord, come into my life. Give me that salvation that you have made possible through your death, burial, and resurrection. I confess with my mouth Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God has raised me from the dead. Not my head. It's not a head thing. It's not a religious thing. I give my life to you, Lord. Come into my life and save me tonight. Father, you know who in this room is ready. And Lord, while the iron is hot, is the moment we must strike with the word. So Father, I pray if there are any that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior tonight, Lord. I pray they'd be willing to confess that. I pray pray they'd be willing to make a public declaration of that. They would, either to me or to Pastor Wayne or to somebody here, they would say, you know, I just asked Jesus Christ into my life. I prayed with my heart. I admitted my sin. I believe Jesus is the answer. He died for me on that cross and rose again. And I confess him as my Lord. And I asked him to come into my life and save me. Father, is there any here tonight that have made that decision? While there are others, Lord, that are fighting that decision. It's like, I, I don't want to do that right now. I'm not ready. Oh, Lord, help them to know, ready or not, you're coming. And the signs of your coming are greater than they've ever been. 
Oh, Lord, it's not a more convenient time. When they leave tonight, as long as they walk out that door, the devil's going to be all over them saying, See there, I told you not to go to church tonight. I told you not to be there. Why are you even there? I told you not to go. Come on back with me. I'll give you a good time. Father, help them to know that there's no guarantee they'll ever get this opportunity again. You don't guarantee us 25 or 50 invitations in our lifetime. Help us, Lord God, to know that through grace, once we are saved through Jesus Christ. Father, whatever you're doing in the hearts of people tonight, I pray they would respond to you. And Lord, for believers in Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that we would be revived through the known moments and times we've been together, through the scriptures we've seen. Lord, I pray tonight that your spirit would move upon the believers, Lord, that we would come back to walking in a right relationship with you. Lord, if we're not the person we used to be following Jesus, then somebody's moved and you never move. So draw us back to that right relationship with you, living for you, vibrant and excited about being a Christian and excited about following after you and, and, and being a great commission Christian, reaching people with the gospel. Lord, whatever decisions need to be made tonight, I pray that your spirit would lead tonight. We thank you, Father, as we prepare to leave here tonight in a few moments. We thank you for everything that's happened this week. Thank you for the privilege I've had to be here with, with these loving people. Thank you for the joy it's been to be with them. Some of them I know by name now, and I'll, I'll never forget them, Lord. They'll be forever, brothers and sisters. And Father, I pray as we move on in our lives, each of us going in our separate ways, Lord, whatever path you take our journey on, whatever we have to walk through in this life, help us to remember in the end, we'll all end up at the feet of Jesus, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to be a, a tool in your woodshed. Now, Lord, put me back in the shed, and you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Wayne. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Are you ready for the bridegroom? Are you ready tonight? If uh, Pastor Kevin had an opportunity or I had an opportunity to, to talk to you individually, say, hey, can I ask you tonight, are you ready? Would you be ready? Would you say, you know, I'm, I'm not ready. There's things in my life and my thoughts and my choices that I, I know I've not yet said. Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And I confess that I'm going to put my trust. And I'm going to turn from those sins. And I'm going to walk with you. Tonight, if Pastor Kevin or I or someone else could take a moment with you and look you in the eye and say, are you ready? What would you say? I was 15 years old when uh, I came to a church and uh, there was a missionary speaking and she said something that really got my attention. She said, no one can make the decision for you. That morning I got up and I went to the altar of the church and I said, you know what, I, I know my parents want me to be a Christian and they've, they wanted that so much. But I had to come to that place when I made the decision, whether or not my parents were there or not, that I asked Jesus to come into my heart. That morning, that's what happened. I said, Jesus, I want to be a Christian I want to ask you to forgive me. And I believe that he did. That was a special day in my life. And I would like to say too, don't, don't waste your life. Man, what a blessing it is for our youth group to be with us tonight. You don't know how excited that makes me feel. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're here tonight. And all of us, all of you, young and old that are here tonight. But I'm just thinking tonight. Don't waste your life. Oh, God has a plan for it. And He's calling out to you. Would you stand with me, please?
We're going to take another moment and we're going to pray. And I'm just going to give the invitation. Maybe you would like to make that decision tonight. You, you're willing to say to the people around you, you know what? I choose Jesus tonight. I make the decision tonight. I just want to invite you to step out and come to the front. You want to look at Pastor Kevin or myself or someone else, maybe a teen leader, maybe someone else here, and tell them that you're choosing Jesus tonight. You know, that public profession is really important. You know, undercover Christians, sometimes that's really a pretty weak way to live the Christian life. So I just say to you today, and I don't say this very often, but if Jesus is worth turning to, He's worth talking about. And I just want to invite you to tonight. I'm going to pray, and if you'd like to come or grab somebody's hand or talk to somebody, I invite you to respond to what Jesus is saying to you tonight. Let's pray again. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight that Jesus is calling to us. He told this story. He told this parable. And uh, it helped people to understand how important it is to be ready and not to wait. Not to waste their lives. Not to walk this line that says, you know what, someday I'll get ready. Some way, someday I'll respond to Jesus. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that each one of us, Lord, are called right now in this moment to answer that question. Am I going to walk with Jesus? I pray that that decision is made right in this moment in the hearts of people. Lord God, wherever we are tonight, that we would sincerely say to Jesus, I want to walk with you. I ask you to come into my heart and my life. I ask you to forgive me. I want to be a Christian. and I ask that you help me to live the way that you want me to, I pray. Lord God, help, help every one of us to know how important it is to be ready. Thank you, Jesus, that you call to us. Thank you for the calling you've given to us this week and in these services, God. I pray that our hearts would be leaning in towards you as we, we heard that line the other night, leaning towards you, God saying, God, I want you. I want your spirit. I want your guidance. I, I promise myself to you. God, help us to be close to you and live close to you and draw close to you. Lord, I'm thankful for the promise that he who cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Thank you for that promise tonight. Thank you for these services. Thank you for Pastor Kevin. Thank you for every person that's with us tonight. Bless them. Speak to them. Call them and encourage them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for all that have joined us. Thank you to our tech team for all the you've made possible this week for those that are able to watch and listen. God bless. Have a great evening. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.